Today's woman of impact went from studying industrial engineering at USC to becoming a badass WWE diva champion. But she drop kicked more than just her opponents in the ring. She power slammed stereotypes by showing that women can be sexy, athletic, and powerful all at the same time. With an action figure, three diva championships, and appearing in Cosmo and Muscle and Fitness, to name a few, yet it was safe to say that this woman was at the top of her game until she came to a realization. Newly engaged to Hene Gracie, grandson of the legendary Helio Gracie, she realized that her career as a wrestler was no longer her true north, and her heart was in building a family. So she said farewell to WWE and set sail on her new journey. But it turned out wife and motherhood was not her final destination. Her intense passion for Brazilian jiu-jitsu and the impact and power it had on women just kept tugging at her. So with hard work, dedication, and ungodly amount of effort, she became the first female instructor at the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Academy, going on to spearhead Women Empowered, a self-defense program where she teaches women all around the world techniques on how to protect themselves from violence. And guys, trust me, her moves are just not for play. She's pretty freaking badass. So please, help me in welcoming the woman who empowers females to overcome their self-imposed limitations, one armbar and chokehold at a time. The woman who proves that beauty is more than skin deep and strength is more than physical muscle. The former wrestler, model, dancer, actress, and in my opinion, the real life Wonder Woman, Eve Torres Gracie. Thank you for that. Welcome to the show, my dear. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, so happy to have you. Um, Where I want to start is you went to USC to study industrial engineering, which seems to me like it couldn't be like the furthest thing to think about compared to where you ended up. So take me through how you started there and then having a career where you ended up. Sure. Um, so I, yeah, I had always been very academically inclined growing up as a young girl into high school and into college. And for me, it was just always the path. Both mm. of my parents were the first of their family to go to college. Uh, my mom was the first of, of pretty much like most women to go to law school. And I really knew no other path. So that's where I went. And I actually enjoyed, I enjoyed school. Um, I was very academically inclined and I did very well. I got a full tuition scholarship at USC for academics. So I went that path and kind of towards my senior year, I realized I'm not being moved to do internships. I'm not being moved to get my resume out there. And like emotionally? Yeah, I'm, I'm not being, and I know I'm just somebody when I want something, I do it. And I'm like, why am I not out there kind of killing it like all of my classmates were in terms of getting that internship and, you know, getting their resumes out and meeting with different companies in terms of, you know, getting job placement. And it's because my heart was being pulled in a different direction. And that was the entertainment world. And I told myself, I'm not going to touch that world until I finish school. Because I knew that the moment you, especially living in LA, it's like you get one job and then you're like, oh, well, I have to take a few weeks off school. And I knew that it was possible I would not finish school had I even ventured that direction. You were like that self-aware. I was, I was aware that it would, it would pull me too hard before I was kind of ready. And in my mind, it was almost like having my degree was my safety net to then take the ultimate risk with my career, which was I got my degree and I said, great. Now I feel like I can take whatever risks I want because I have this some kind of something to fall back on. And I think that's what allowed me to take the risks I did in the entertainment industry. Uh, I started off in, in dance, professional dance, and then went into my career with WWE. So 
complete change of path to go from industrial engineering to professional wrestling. Um, but it's like, it's like I needed this in order for that mm. to happen. I think I would have, I may not have taken that risk had I not had this to fall back on. And so taking risks is, is an important part of growth, but it's like, I need a little bit of safety net and then I go and then I jump. Yeah, because you know? most people that like the safety don't end up taking that jump. Right. Um, but I love that you're able to do both. I need both. I need both. I need it for, I need part of it for the stability that like, whew, make, makes me feel like, okay. But then I need that risk taking and I need the ability to just do something that I never thought I could do. I need that for myself. But taking that first step, especially when you like safety, is very tough. It was, uh, especially the initial step. And yeah. I think with every every time you take a risk, I think it become it gets easier and easier because mm-hmm. you, it's a learned behavior. You learn that here I took this risk and it panned out. So what happens if I take another risk? And obviously sometimes risks don't pan out. Right. Okay. But so you need you kind of need like a you know you need a balance of that. So yeah. sometimes you'll take a risk and you'll go oh that didn't work, but you know that it's worked for you in the past. You know, and that was helpful for me to say you know what, I did this. And I actually ended up in a place that I never thought I would end up, mm. but I did it. And it was the right, it was the right move at the right time for me. Yeah. All right. But what about those people that, let's say it's the first time they take the risk and it doesn't pan out. So you mm. don't actually have sure. the backing yeah. to prove like, no, 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 this can, this can work. Yeah. And that's where you really have to be rooted in what you believe you're meant to be doing. I think it's hardest for people who are like, oh, I'll try this thing, but I'm not really sure. That's harder when it, when it doesn't work. You might say, mm, okay, it wasn't for me. But if you have something, you say, I know that this is my purpose and I know this is what I want to do. And you take a risk and do it. You're going to have more foundation, more passion to support you through your next risk-taking journey, mm-hmm. uh, even when that one doesn't pan out. So you have to have that foundation. And if you don't, you will, you, that failure will, will scare you away from taking further steps. It's also a part of learning how much you really want something. If you try something and, it, and you fail, and it scares you enough away to not continue that path, maybe that actually wasn't the path for you and maybe there is another one out. And so I think it's also okay to listen to that. If you say, you know what, in this particular situation, the risks and the fear for some reason is outweighing my desire to pursue it. You should listen to that as well. Don't just feel like, oh no, I have to pursue and pursue and persist. There might be another path for you that will still likely have failures in the future, but you're gonna have enough foundation in your your passion and your drive to continue on that path. I love that so much. Um, But the question I then have, which I love this question, is how do you know what is just like a failure because actually you shouldn't be doing it in the first Mm. place or a failure that like, no, you just need to get back up, dust it off and then try again? (sighs) Yeah, I'll tell you what is not good enough. Okay. One failure is not good enough. (laughs) Love that. One failure is not good enough to tell you, nope, that was the wrong path. Yeah. It's not because it takes multiple, multiple failures. And so maybe when you get to that point where you're like, all right, still, and I I did this, I started another business at one point of of my my time after WWE, and and that was it. It was like, I kind of kept meeting failures in it, and I kept saying, well, no, I'm gonna adjust, I'm gonna try this, I'm gonna try something else, and finally got to a point, and I said, you know what? Now it's starting to outweigh, you know, Mm. my, the, the resources that this is pulling from me to make this thing work is outweighing what I'm getting from it. And I had to listen to that. And I'm, you know, so sometimes it's okay to listen to that and go, 
this is not for me. And I have another path that is worth my, my 100% focus. Is that what you did then at WWE? Because like you are the top of like what people would say is the top of the game in that industry, right? You're, you've got awards, you've got the belt, you've, you're getting publicity, um, and then you decide to leave. So is that what happened to you? Yeah, I, at that point, so this was when I was about five years into my career, and I was champion three times, and like you said, I was you know in WrestleMania and had all, reached all these milestones that I hoped to reach in my career there. But there was something, there was kind of twofold reason, I think, why I decided to take another path. One is because I had another, something else pulling me, right, away from it. But also, uh, I was meeting a lot of resistance in terms of where we were in the company and where the company was in terms of how they represented women. And that has changed greatly, which is a beautiful thing to see. Right. It's a beautiful thing to watch how they have changed their representation of women in sports entertainment and mm -hmm. specifically in WWE. But that was not the case when I was there. And so, you know, when you, when you start to feel like, well, my own success is not completely in my own hands, it's not mm -hmm. a great feeling, you know? When you say, I work hard, I, I do everything, I show up and I do everything I can, but there's this other force here that's kind of keeping me, you know, down. Uh, I didn't want that anymore. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be in a place where the, the ceiling was non-existent and the only person responsible for my failure or growth was me. And so I decided to, to leave and that was part of, part of the reason. Um, and then all, the other part was, like you had mentioned, the family aspect. Obviously I knew I, I wanted to start a family as well and that was something I considered. I, it's pretty much impossible because of the schedule that we have in mm. WWE, which is about 300 shows a year in a different city every day. You're in a different city five days a week. Uh, you're traveling nonstop. So it's pretty difficult to maintain any type of domestic you know, relationship with children and mm -hmm. husband. It's, it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, but it seems like you managed to juggle the two now. Um, now, obviously, mm. you're not traveling you sure. know, 300 days a right. year, but... Um, Explain to me then that thought process of like, I don't think I can't have both. I can't have, you know, be a WWE and then have a family. And now you haven't transitioned into having a beautiful family. Um, was that like you always believed it could exist, just not under the WWE banner? Or you just thought it couldn't exist and then de um, developed it yourself? Sure. Uh, great question. I knew it could exist because my mom had demonstrated that to me. So mm -hmm. I had a really wonderful role model in terms of a woman who just worked so incredibly hard, worked herself to the bone, literally, and, uh, and also raised a family. So I knew it was possible. Mm. Uh, I I, there were some things I wanted to do differently than my mom did, but I, I knew it was possible. She worked herself so much that she, she got cancer, mouth cancer, which is an extremely rare form of cancer. And my belief is that it came from stress and, and from overworking herself and lack of sleep and lack of you know, being able to care for herself. And that's what she had to do to raise three kids and to also be this high-performing career woman. And so I look at that and I'm like, there's parts of that I want, mm. but that's the part I don't want. I have a lot of my mom in me. So I know I could end up going that direction if I don't learn how to say no to certain things and if I don't know how to balance some self-care and prioritize that with my work. And so I wanted, I want a little bit more balance than mm -hmm. my mom had. It's like they say, they want you to work like you don't have children and they want you to have children like you don't work, yeah. right? So you, but it's, it's difficult to do both 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so 
So for you, when you decided you were going to do both then, um, were there any questions you had to ask yourself on like sacrifices you were willing to make and changes you had to make? Yeah, you know, when me and my husband were first dating, he had never experienced a woman who worked oh. in his life. Any women in his huh. life, you know, his mom, his, you know, all the women around him, the wives of his family. So he was really resistant initially to the okay. idea. And this is when we're first dating. Mm. He's like, so when this, you know, when you're done with this WWE thing, then what? And we had to have this difficult conversation of, I don't know. I might have kids and maybe I'll say, you know what? I don't want to work a day in my life and I want to spend 100% of my time with my children, but I won't know until I'm there. Or maybe I'll say, you know what? I love my time with my children, but there is a there is something inside me that need, there's energy inside me that needs to reach the world, and I want to continue to do that through mm -hmm. my career. I won't know. And I told him, and we had it was like this initially, mm -hmm. and he he couldn't understand because he really believed it was the right way, to his way, his way. Yeah, yeah he just said, well, why would you? Why wouldn't? Why you know? This is the most important thing in the world is raising children. So why would you do something else if you don't need to? Right. If you don't need to. And that was the, mm -hmm. the kind of emphasized point. If, I, if we're making enough money, why would you do that? And he couldn't, couldn't understand mm. it. And after actually really important talks between him and my mom, he finally got it. And he said, actually, I want my, my children to be able to look up to a woman, similar to how I had my mom to look up to. So he really got into it. And, and now, obviously, he is my number one supporter, but what a shift it had to be for him. Um, so what if, let's say someone's listening right now, and they're in a situation where they're in a relationship where, the, let's say, their male partner or their partner doesn't want them to work or just has a preconceived notion of what their life should be like. What do you suggest um, they start with in order to open up the conversation and change that narrative? Right. Well, first, just having the conversation, having it be something you talk about early on, right, I think is important because if you, if you, for example, know you want to have children and you know you want to have a career and you have never had that talk with your boyfriend or fiance or husband, that's an important talk to have early on. We clearly had different ideas about the roles that each of us played in, in our relationship and in, in life. So it's important if one, just have that conversation, even though it can be one that you're a little scary because you're like, well, I don't, what, if I, what if he doesn't want what I want? And it comes down to the belief in what is best best right? right is everyone thinks that there's a best way to do something and at the end of the day you say well if I'm going to be the best mother I can be which is what I I do want to be I want to be the best mother I can possibly be I need to be the happiest and most fulfilled person I can be and for me personally I have other ways to to feel fulfilled than just being with my my children all day and so, and it's actually an extremely difficult job to be with your children all day. It's a very thankless job. It's one that requires a lot of strength and a lot of persistence. Um, and I knew it just wasn't for me, right? I knew that while I love my time with my children, I wanted my time to be quality and for me to be completely present mm -hmm. with them. And the only way I can accomplish that is by having my time where I get to, you know, really fill my cup. And so I think it's having that conversation of what your needs are. Yeah. Uh, and he may have certain expectations or needs and roles. And I actually just heard a great conversation that you had about this, about defining those roles and really talking about that <laughs> in front, uh, you know, in the, in the beginning of the relationship. Because if you have a completely different idea about your roles, you either need to say, okay, even though this is what I want, 
I may not get that and I have to mourn that you know, that loss of, of identity of what I wanted my wife to be. Um, or you say, you know what, this may not work yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. And I love that because like, let's talk about identity then, right? Because you, especially going, I'm sure for you, WWE, it's like immense, like pressure and anger. And, uh, like, right. I don't even know what to call that. Sure. Right? But like you're jumping in the ring and you're like head slamming people and doing all these crazy moves. Um, and then you transition to be, you know, a wife, a mother, the nurturer. Um, and like, let me tell you, seeing you, the videos that you now do, you're kicking butt, girl. So how do you balance the two or do you balance the two between nurturer and badassery? Um, and have you had to discuss that with your husband? For me, it was difficult because you go from having this incredible just adrenaline and excitement and constant change of pace and change of scenery to being home every day. And all of a sudden on a Friday night, instead of being performing in front of 15,000 people, you are sitting on your couch at home, mm-hmm. maybe in front of nobody, or maybe in front of your, your children who, you know, just pooped their pants and mm-hmm. you're, <laughs> it's very different. Right. It's like, okay, this is a different role. And so finding meaning and, and finding, mourning that loss, first of all, of that identity, that, per- that part of you, I think is important. And then connecting with this new, this new part of you and, and redefining what productivity is for you. Yeah. Because that was, that was a strange shift for me as well. Yeah, got it. Okay, so let's take me through exactly that moment then. You're sitting on your couch, your kids are pooped everywhere, your husband's, let's say, probably not home, maybe he's working, and you're used to, like you said, being 15,000 people. I mean, if, I'm sure everyone listening has seen one of those matches, right? right? Where it's just screaming, you're jumping at the top of the ring. I mean, like heightened um, adrenaline, I'm sure. And you're sitting at home, are you thinking about that? Like, and what do you actually say to yourself? in that moment like what is the process you have to take yourself through to say i'm mourning my old identity but i'm also embracing my new like how do you actually do that in that moment right good question i think part of the morning is feeling right so it it's it might feel like you maybe made the wrong decision sometimes and you're going to question that or you might feel like gosh you know, what is my worth now? And there's going to be a lot of questions that come up and you have to, if you run away from them Mm -hmm. because you're scared of them, then you're never going to fully address them. So I think it's important to embrace all of those feelings and those questions that you have and the self-doubt that you may experience during those moments and really work through them and, and ask yourself those questions. What is my worth right now? Well, this is a really important job that I have, a really important job for this person in front of me. Who needs his diaper changed? No. <laughs> but, you know, who, but, needs, who needs his mom yeah. to be present and to be an important, you know, part of his life, leading by example. And just realizing that my, 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 my role is still extremely important. I have a very important job here, and it's just not the same. So allowing that, that morning experience, but then really reconnecting with your, with your purpose and your worth and whatever, whatever it is that you're doing mm-hmm. at that moment. Um, and also remembering that everything is temporary. And I think it's really hard to f- remember that sometimes. And so I always try to remind myself of the big picture, which is this is what's important right now at this moment. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. That's powerful. That's so hard to do as well in that it moment, is. to not just feel 
not even sorry for yourself, but just down, right? Or sad or... Sure. Um, and then I think, at least, look, I don't have kids, so I don't know, but what people have told me, friends have told me, is then you start to feel guilty mm. that you're sad about yes. being home with your kids. Absolutely. And so it, it feels like almost a, like a lose-lose situation sometimes. Yeah. That definitely happens, and I've had many of those moments where mm. I feel like, gosh, I need a, I have so much to do, or I'm thinking about other things, and I'm not present with them. And that's actually, that was my biggest indicator that I actually needed to go back to work, okay. is... I want to, I want to, when I'm with my children, I want to be with them a hundred percent. I don't want to be thinking about all the things that I need to need to get done. And so that sometimes means I need to get some stuff done. So, so that means I need to go, get back to work. And that way when I'm home, I'm here and I, I, that's worth it to me. I'd rather be with them five hours a day and be completely present or even less than that, two or three hours a day of present time. Uh, then, you know, 10 hours a day of me just like, uh, like kind of, you know, being on my phone or trying to answer emails or kind of trying to do everything. And also allowing yourself to feel those things and say, this is not, I shouldn't feel bad about wanting, you know, having these other parts of me that need to be fulfilled. That is okay. That's human. Yeah. So many people have done that in the past. And I think it's um, probably generational. I feel like it was our parents that did the like, give up everything that you are for your kids. And now I think our generation is starting to realize how detrimental that can actually be. It can. Yeah. I mean, my mom just retired, but she was like, yeah, you guys are great, but I'm still living in Colorado. I've got to live my life. You know, like she, she has always made us feel extremely valuable and important and a special part of her life, but always maintained her own identity mm-hmm. and her own purpose. And I think that's important because ultimately your children do. They, they're a part of your life so much in the beginning and then they eventually grow up and move on. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, I now want to <clears throat> dig into your new venture, which sure. is so exciting. Yes. I actually have a quote that I stole from you and posted oh. today actually oh. on Instagram. <laughs> but I saw it on your, your page. She wasn't looking for a knight, she was looking for a sword. And I saw yeah. that you posted that and it hit me so hard because I was like, it's so true. We've been brought up to believe we should be looking for our prince charming or our knight. But really, why are we not picking up our own defense weapon? And what you do now with the program that you now run with your husband is really allowing women to feel empowered, to feeling like I'm picking up the sword myself. I'm not waiting to be rescued. Um, Talk to me about how you came into that business in the first place and then what your mission and goal is. Sure. So, yeah, on that quote, I think it, it is so important to understand where that comes from because as you mentioned, as women, we are often just have this belief that we are not capable of defending ourselves. And that is a deeply ingrained belief. Uh, and it was one that I actually had as well. But in terms of how I got into this, uh, so my, my now sister-in-law had invited me to take a jujitsu class. And this was right when I signed with WWE. So I had already been on the road traveling by myself and had already had an incident that freaked me out where I was traveling by myself and I had stopped at a gas station and I was in a gas station and these guys started, and I was wearing like a skirt, I had lashes on, I had, and they, you know, probably assumed I was going to like a party or something based on how I was dressed. I was like a backstage interviewer at the time and they just started heckling me and harassing me. And I, it got to a point where then they started calling me names 
and, you know, getting angrier because I wasn't acknowledging them. And they were starting to get angry. And I finally got to a point where I put my stuff down and I ran out of the gas station and they followed me out there. And I'm by myself and I run, run to my rental car. I slam the door and I take off and I'm like, I'm shaking, I'm crying. And I finally pull over and I just like unload and I just like release and I'm, and I'm you know, crying to myself. So I was like, sign me up. You know, she told me about jujitsu. She was dating one of the owners and she said, I want you to come take a class. My brother had trained jujitsu in high school. So I knew about it. She's like, oh, and by the way, I want you to meet somebody. And I'm like, okay, kind of awkward, but whatever. I'll show up and I'm sure I'll shake his hand, say hi, nice to meet you, and then go on with my day. Well, it turns out I get there and he is actually the one giving me a class. So he comes out of the private room, six foot four with dimples and, you know, freckles and and I'm like, okay, so I guess this is my first class. And he, you know, lays me down and he says, most fights go to the ground. And this is the position. If you're going to be the smaller person to fight, we'll end up here. And he mounts on top of me, puts his hands on my neck and said, how would you get out of here? And I like turn purple and I'm like sweating and partly because I'm just like a little bit flustered. <laughs> and I'm like really trying to get out because I'm, yeah. I'm athletic. Yeah. You know, I'm strong. I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to show him. I'm going to mm-hmm. show him like how couldn't couldn't get anywhere. And I'm like, okay. And that's when I was just so, and he, he taught me how to do that, how you would get out from underneath mm-hmm. somebody. And that was my first class. But why that's important is because now, obviously as women, this is such an important thing to understand that if you are going to learn a martial art, you want to learn the one that little, where the little guy beats the big guy. Mm-hmm. And that's what jujitsu has shown time and time again, all the way back to UFC one, where Hoist Gracie defeated all of his opponents in, in the tournament. And he was the smallest competitor, this little skinny Brazilian guy, and everyone thought, what the heck is going on? And why is he on the bottom of the fight? And why is the guy on top tapping out? What is <laughs> happening? No one had seen this before. And so that was the, you know, that was really the shift for, for jiu-jitsu. And now as women, we say, that makes sense. And so that was my initial thought. Why, I felt just so empowered and so, but also kind of angry, like angry about the fact that I'd never learned that before. Really? And that feeling like, why don't, why don't women learn this? Like, why don't women know this? My brother was in jujitsu. Why wasn't I in jujitsu? Like, why oh, is this not a part yeah. of our lives? And so that feeling was like the, the seed, you know, that was planted. And then obviously as our relationship blossomed and as my relationship with jujitsu also blossomed, I realized this is so, we need to get this in the hands of women. And the only way to do that is to create a women's only program. Because naturally, when a woman walks into, into a jujitsu school, most jujitsu schools out there, you walk in, it's like sweaty, and there's, there's guys just like on top of each other. And if you don't know what's going on, you're like, are they hugging? Or what are they doing? <laughs> you know, it's not appealing. You're not like, oh, let me just jump in there and get in between this guy's legs. Like, it's like, what's happening? So it was really important for us to modify jujitsu and basically recreate, recreate and rebrand jujitsu for women. Mm-hmm. And it's the most important martial art for women to learn, but they're never going to learn it if it keeps being taught in this way that is kind of archaic and specific towards men and not specific to the needs of women. So we created Women Empowered. And so it's focused on the most dangerous and most common threats against women. It's now 20 lessons. And it's just so amazing to watch how women who would not, you would not think are your typical jujitsu, you know, yeah. interest. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're not these just women in their 20s who want to fight MMA. We have women in their 60s. We have mother and daughters. We have women who have, uh, you know, battled their weight for many years. We have women of all walks of life who are coming here to learn 
learn self-defense and learn in specifically in jujitsu and it's extremely empowering. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so let's yes. dive deeper now. Sure. So the people that come, they're all different ages. Um, are people just like premeditative, like, okay, I want to practice so that I can defend myself if something happens or women actually who have already been attacked come in because they don't want that to happen again? Yes, so we have a mix of both okay. come in. And statistically speaking, when we know that one in four women will likely be either assaulted or experience some sort of violence or abuse in their life, then you just know that in a room full of women, chances are at least one-fourth of them have experienced violence. And in a self-defense room, mat, then the chances are the, the statistics are higher because we often do have women who have experienced violence in the past and then who come seeking some sort of healing from that. And that's really important when you're teaching women self-defense because I think a lot of self-defense programs out there are a little bit misled in terms of what they believe violence against women really looks like. Oh. Uh, and I think they also are a little bit too simplistic. Uh, it's not like a lot of them just believe that there's, you know, you just kick them in the groin and, you know, or gouge their eyes out and then the Why? fight's over, right? Mm. So that is... Not always the case, otherwise we wouldn't exist. And, and the violence, the statistics on violence would not exist the way that they have mm -hmm. if that was the answer to everything, right? And so it's important when you're teaching women self-defense to acknowledge that a lot of these women have gone through traumas. And so acknowledging that trauma as you're teaching it and doing it in a more trauma-informed way is a really important part of how we teach and even how we teach other instructors to teach because we know that women coming in there have possibly experienced this. And so there are, there are you know, scenarios, there are moves, there are techniques that may even trigger certain women uh, to have responses during practice. And we are aware of that and we know how to handle that in, in the best way possible without being therapists. Mm. Um, but it's, we know that that's a possibility because of the, the type of women and the types of experiences that they've had. Do you ask them in advance then? Or is it just like you just pay attention to how they You act? have to be so aware because really? it's not, you know, I, I, when someone first comes in, I try not to start off with, tell me everything about you. You know, <laughs> yeah. some women are not ready to share mm -hmm. it. There are women, you know, myself included, who took, it took me 10 years to admit that I was sexually assaulted, even to myself and to others. And so there are a lot of women who are not ready to talk about it yet. So they're still, so it's not for me to ask, mm -hmm. it's for them to share. Mm -hmm. um, but we are so tuned in. And the moment you see a woman tear up or start to like freeze or stop responding, you know right away, okay, she's having a, an emotional response right now. And so we need to address this. And so we're constantly being very vigilant in terms of scanning for that. Yeah. So how do you address that? Because let's say you've got a room for, how many, what's the typical size class? So our classes uh, are sometimes 60, 70 women. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So 60, 70 women, you've got at least one out of four who has been. So there's a massive portion of those people who have already had some form of abuse. Um, how do you treat, like, or do you, do you end up, teaching them all the same because surely they have different types of responses like what you said some may cry some may freeze sure so when we're teaching a group class you you teach for what we call the lcd right the lowest common denominator meaning assume we have to assume that every single woman in there has has been attacked in her life oh, okay. we I, I actually make that assumption yeah. in teaching so hmm. i'm so aware of my language and how we address something that 
the goal is that nobody will experience that because of the way we talk about it, because of how we address it. Mm. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody won't be triggered because that's possible. And then when somebody does have that, it is something that is kind of a one-on-one -on -one thing and that okay. we can we would address when they have specific responses. Um, but the first thing is to get them off the mat and to allow them to go through that moment. And then, then they would make that choice whether they want to continue training or whether they need to process that. And we always suggest that even though the, the healing uh, can definitely occur through self-defense, we always suggest that they partner that with, with a professional, yeah. with therapy, right? So that they can kind of process what happens in training with, with a therapist. But we have seen incredible results for healing. So much so that one of, one of the students, one of our students had been vicious, viciously assaulted on the beach um, and was, was raped and was beaten up extremely badly on, on an early morning run. And she was brought to us actually by uh, the law enforcement agent, uh, the, the police officer who was on the scene, and he's a student of ours. Oh, wow. So when she was ready, she came to us and she started training. And she wrote us a letter later explaining to us how she would have nightmares every night about this incident. And how finally, in her dream, she submitted the guy using one of the techniques. <gasps> and her nightmare stopped because she was able to change what happened in her mind or almost like the outcome of that memory for her forever and her nightmares stopped and that's when you go wow this stuff is super incredibly powerful for healing for women so while some of our women are there preemptively others are there for healing and we acknowledge both and we want to empower both yeah, that's amazing and what i also love though is that you don't just focus on let's say the extreme cases right like on the beach rape i mean that's sure. like heartbreaking on another level but even the videos that you do are like what if somebody is like crossing your boundaries right. hugging yeah what if someone's giving you a creepy hug if someone's giving right. you a creepy Which hug we've yeah. all gotten yeah. every single woman has gotten a creepy hug in her life yeah <laughs> and it's unfortunate but this is this is our reality uh and that's that's another part of of this program specifically and what i mentioned kind of about generic self-defense programs mm. that are, are not always addressed is that 78% or more of, of assaults are committed by people known to us, okay? So that's an important statistic to understand because when you are talking about self-defense, if you only have these eye gouges or groin shots to resort to, you may not gouge out your boss's eye when he crosses the line at a party, right? You wanna be able to have some simple neutralization techniques to basically keep your space safe, mm -hmm. but be able to disengage and set a firm boundary and be able to back that boundary up. So if someone were to grab my wrist and try to drag me somewhere, again, a coworker who gets too drunk at a party, I don't have to resort to, you know, breaking his nose or not that he wouldn't deserve it, but <laughs> you may not feel that woman at that moment may not feel like that's a tool she can use. Right. right. And we want to give her this full range. And that's yeah. what's beautiful about the Women Empowered program specifically is we have this full range of options. Everything from verbal assertiveness, which is also a self-defense technique, almost equally as important as any physical technique, all the way to how to neutralize someone grabbing your wrist, grabbing your neck, you know, pinning you on the ground, all the way to a kill or be killed situation where it's him or I. Wow. And I have to render him unconscious with a choke or kill him with a choke before he does that to me. 
And so these are situations that we, we cover everything across the gamut. Yeah, that's so incredible because that's the thing. Sometimes it's the unspoken danger, right? The, or the like, no, you're being paranoid yep. or just being oversensitive. And that's where it gets tricky because that's where you're like, do I make a big scene um, and then embarrass myself? Because yeah. you can't help like us women. We just can't help ourselves. And that's the problem, right? This is it, is that we have been conditioned, many of us, not yeah. all of us, but many of us have been conditioned to second guess our gut instincts mm-hmm. and that we are overreacting or that we are too sensitive or that you know we're being rude when really we're following our gut and somebody's making us feel uncomfortable and we want to honor that. Mm-hmm. But when we do, those things are said about us and we kind of, we fall into it. And I am, I am completely somebody who has done that in the past. I'm very much a people pleaser. Mm. And so I want to be the one who's always smiling and, oh, good day, sir. How are you? And really I'm like, fuck off. I don't know you, you know, like I don't want to talk to you or I don't want to address you and I don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so listening to our inner voices, listening to that gut instinct that we have and trusting it and we believe that learning the physical techniques, that's what empowers you to mm. listen to that gut because you go, no, I know what I'm talking about and I am prioritizing my safety. Uh, I've invested into my safety mm-hmm. through learning these physical techniques. So now I'm going to do everything in my power to protect myself, even if that means you know, telling this guy to back up, even if he had good intentions. Right. We won't know though. Right. We won't really know. And so setting those boundaries with others, even if it means that they get embarrassed or we get embarrassed, it's all worth it. But that is a part of the self-defense mindset. Mm-hmm. I love that because I always say, I remember when I made that transition and really was more com- out of having confidence, confidence absolutely. in saying, you know what? Yes, I may be overreacting, but I'd rather overreact than get raped or stabbed. If absolutely. I'm going to be, right? Like I hate yep. to be that blunt, but yes. it really came to that where I told myself, you're you're maybe getting dangerous by just trying to be a pleaser, like you said, right? Sure. You don't want to offend someone. Right. They just wanted to give you a hug, Lisa. What's yep. wrong with that? Right. And then before you know it, it feels a little awkward and it's a little inappropriate and they're doing it a little too tight, a little too close. Um, and I used to be the person, yeah, that would never speak up or never say anything. Um, and then it's having the confidence. And so do you actually notice that, that the confidence changes as you start to train them more and more? Absolutely. Uh, that's the most important part of mm. what we do. And we actually do role-playing exercises where we teach women to set boundaries with others. And surprisingly, that is the hardest one for most women. Boundaries. That is the hardest technique is to yell at somebody, to put your hands up, and tell them to back up or whatever it is that they need to say. And they're doing it with their partners and they feel silly. And I don't know, this is, some women have a very hard time with that because women are not told to yell or to cause a scene or to make a lot of noise. And that's what we're asking them to do. And that's what you need to be able to do. You need to feel like in that, in that moment where you feel danger, you need to be able to speak your voice. And so we're, that is part of the program is that kind of role playing. And it's important to role play it because just like any other technique, you need to practice it. So it becomes, you know, this reflex Mm -hmm. that you do that. Yeah. Don't, don't think kick, just kick as Bruce Lee says. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's exactly it. And the confidence, and we always say the, you know, the measure of success of our program is not based on how many women graduate from the program and engage in fights and win. Right. Right? Right. That's not the measure of success. The measure of success is actually how many fights are potentially avoided by heightened confidence and awareness. And we so far have been very fortunate and very lucky in in the women who've gone through our program that those are the types of stories that we hear are the ones where it's a close call. But because they set a boundary, some situation 
the guy, you know, leaves them, leaves them alone, mm -hmm. but they're so willing. And it's like this reef. And they say it like, we, I didn't even have a choice in the matter. I just, my hands went up and I told him to back up or I told him to stay right where he was or whatever that interaction was. They didn't even have a choice. It's like their body just reacted. Yeah. I had a guest on the show and she basically said at the age of like 12, a guy was very inappropriate with her in an elevator, Sure. but her whole upbringing, her family taught her almost every day. If someone does something, scream and run, scream right. and run. And so she said, when it happened, she screamed and run and didn't even realize what had happened because she trained, trained herself. Yeah. And that's, that's the other important part of self-defense training is that ultimately we are putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations and we don't often do that on a daily basis, mm. right? When's the last time you said, oh, you know, I'm just going to lay on the ground and have somebody mountain top of me and choke me. And let's just see what happens, <laughs> right? We don't <laughs> do that often, that often. Yeah. So mm -hmm. putting yourself in those situations in a safe environment right. where you have other people that you can trust and you consistently put yourself there, you are training your body to react. So we talked about before how often our reactions can be fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. And if freeze is the reaction, we need to untrain that. And we need to have it be where when something happens, we react, we fight. And that can only be overcome with training. Yeah. So let's say someone's standing there and they've frozen. What's that very next thing they have to do? Well, it's tough because you can tell them, do something, know, act, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and that's, that's the hardest part is that when that is your response, this is a visceral response. It's not one you can talk yourself out of at the right, moment. Right. But what you can do is untrain that response. Okay. So that's where training comes in. And that's why if you know that you are somebody who freezes, this is the type of thing that's even more important because we need to start training our bodies to respond. And again, this can even be where someone just says an inappropriate thing. And I think we've all had that, right? Where somebody says something so inappropriate, you're like, did that, did that just happen? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what to say. And then afterwards you're like, oh God, you get so angry. Like, I wish I would have said something yeah. or God, I, I wish I would have told him this because we're, it catches us off guard. Mm -hmm. So even practicing, you know, this boundary setting does not just, it's not just important with that creepo who's at the gas station. This is also important learning how to set boundaries confidently with everyone around us, people mm -hmm. we work with, people we, uh, you know, go to school with, people we engage with, our own family. These are, it's, it's the hardest part of self-defense is setting these boundaries confidently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yelling at a stranger isn't as hard as telling your mother, like, look, I draw the line here. 100%, yeah. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's where we find, like, a, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, if it's a stranger, I would do this and I would do that. But then it's possible that their own boyfriend, like boyfriend right, yeah, is, is being abusive. Mm -hmm. And yet it's like hard. It's such a different, it feels like such a different thing. And what we're trying to make them believe is that it's actually not different. Yeah. And that if you are going to invest into your safety when it comes to a stranger that we don't know, let's also put the same weight on our safety around everyone around us and, and feeling confident and feeling like you are worth setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. And that's really, we believe that your self-defense is, the mindset is really rooted in the belief that you are worth defending. Yeah. And that's an important, if you don't have that belief, it's going to be hard to speak up and to say those things. So really connecting with your self-worth and, and the fact that I, yes, I deserve to, I deserve to feel safe. Well, speaking of self-worth and confidence, I would be saddened if we didn't get to speak about the confidence that you had, my dear, at the party that I held. Oh. So for those at home who don't know, I had a big, I do Women of Impact parties and invite all the incredible women I'm around. And you came. And awesome. 
Tell me the story of what happened. It was the most incredible thing <laughs> that I swear to God, I wrote that in my like best things of 2018 oh. was one of that was that. Oh my goodness. Well, let me just first say it was the best party I've ever been to because I was like, I never want to go to another party again where I don't need to, or I can just wear pajamas yeah. and you know just have a bunch of amazing women. But we, I, I was there and I have a four month old son and so I'm still nursing and have to pump every once in a while. So I was at the party having a great time and I'm like, oh my goodness, I need a pump. I had brought my pump. You graciously, I asked you if there's somewhere I could do it. There was like a, you know, a room, so I got all set up and then I'm sitting there and you had even asked, you said, do you want some company? Yeah, I wasn't sure what and was appropriate. No, no, exactly. And, you know, and I was like, you know what? I do want company. And I was like, I, and I actually don't want to leave the party right now. I don't want to sit here in isolation and pump. So I like have my, my, my <laughs> nursing bra on with my pumps out. And I just like walk out and I'm like, hey guys, like just continuing the conversation. Like nothing's happening. Like eh, 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 the whole time. But I was like, I never want to go to a party again where I can't just pump in front of everyone. This is awesome. I had so much respect for you. And that's why like, I really want to bring it up because the level of confidence and the level of like I think intimacy we all just had with each other in allowing each other to have a space of just being ourselves was so incredible and I swear to god like that was like if you had to ask me the best thing that happened in that that entire evening it was that <laughs> when I say like you stepped out in front of 30 women um with your boobs out and, these and are you powerful, had and these awesome are, women and too the, yeah, yeah these are like super incredible like influential women and you just come out and you're like screw it I don't want to leave the party and I was like that is today's woman superhero to me a woman that can say I'm not embarrassed I'm not ashamed I'm freaking proud and I'm still gonna put me first like that you were just like I don't want to miss out on this party I found that so amazing like I I, I don't know what words of wisdom you can oh. give people at home <laughs> that are like embarrassed or shy to do something like that but for you to own it girl like I don't think you realize how impactful that was on me but for you to own that and to not let society or how and look none of us even blinked I think we were right. all just like hell yeah <laughs> right but you took the risk right there could have been people there that were going to judge you or and, offended or, or yes. offended or, or yeah exactly well I think thank you for that first of all um but I I think it also is a testament to the type of women I, I just felt like I was around mm. also uh it's possible that maybe there's an environment out there. I mean, there's definitely environments that I maybe not have done. If it's like a formal, <laughs> like, you know, uh, someone's wedding, I probably yeah. wouldn't have done that. But, uh, but it was something about the connection I immediately felt with these women that, that actually, and that's just a testament to what great group of women that hmm. were there. Uh, so that was part of it is that I felt comfortable and you have made me feel comfortable and I felt like this is okay. Um, but it really does come down to comfort, comfort with yourself and knowing that like, well, somebody could be offended by this or somebody may like judge it, but I want to be a part of this party. And mm. I, you know, I could sit here for 15 minutes by myself or I could still have these conversations with these, you know, incredible women. Just listening to what you want, you know, and there might be a time where you go, you know what, I need a minute to myself. Mm. And you have to listen to that too. Right. And you go, you know, I need to recharge. And I'm the, I'm extreme introvert. We had a seminar on Saturday with over 200 women and it was one of the best days of my life. But afterwards, I went into an introverted hole and me and my husband like didn't talk to each other for a good minute. I was like, okay. And then I came out and I'm like, all right, and I'm good. Okay, I've recharged. But that might happen at a party and you have to listen to that too. Mm. You know, and people might judge you for that and say, wow, she's, you know, why did she disappear for so long? Whatever it is that yeah. you need, it's just honoring your needs and listening to them and, and saying, you know what, this is what I need right now and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. 
my dear. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Oh my gosh, thanks for um, having me. Where can people find you online and all the incredible videos and book and DVDs and everything that you're doing? Yes. So we just released our newest uh, kind of updated curriculum. Right here it is, here. Women Empowered. And so this is a curriculum that has existed for, for many years, but it has That's just cool. been redone. And so now it's 20 lessons. It's a 90-page empowerment handbook, with this, which is all the kind of more in-depth stuff that we talked about in terms of self-defense. Wow. And there's 20 lessons, 63 techniques, and it's available on DVD and also on streaming. So obviously a lot of that's people don't do cool. DVDs anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's at gracieuniversity.com. And it's under, so Women Empowered. And until January 31st, we are offering 15% off for anyone who does either streaming or the DVDs. The part I'm so excited about for this program is the fact that this is now going to be launching our instructor certification program. So now women who go through this program and who say, you know what, I want to teach this in my community. I want to empower other women in my, my communities. I, they can go through the instructor certification program and then offer this wherever they live. That's worldwide. amazing. So gracieuniversity.com. Uh, you can follow me at Eve Torres, at Eve Torres Gracie on Instagram or Twitter. All right. And the final question. Sure. What is your superpower? I think my superpower my superpower is helping women find their superpower. I love it. Well, thank you so much, guys. Oh my God, this woman is so incredible. I've had absolute honor to hang out with her um, off camera and who you see here is exactly who she is off camera as well. Super authentic, super real, no BS, laser on the line. This is what you have to do to protect yourself and go for it, like own who you are and go after it with full ferocity. So go check out her, her stuff. Everything she's doing is so amazing. I will absolutely be taking a lesson with this woman because I want to learn how to choke, uh, choke hold someone. Yeah, that's it. Um, thank you guys for joining. If you haven't subscribed here, click that subscribe button. And if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And until next time, guys, go be the hero of your own life.